This is God's word. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn up open and a spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me as we begin. God of great love and mercy, thank you that your approach to us is broken and as fragmented as our lives often feel. Thank you that your approach to us through your son Jesus, who we just read about, is to move towards us and you move towards our world consistently and towards us with your grace and your love. And we find as we come from all different places, all different kinds of experiences of you, some of us doubting greatly today whether you exist, whether maybe whether you can help us through the current trial and wilderness experience we're going through, whether our faith will ever be alive like it was that one phase in our life when, when you seemed so real and we seemed so excited to know you. And it's not like that anymore. And we wonder if we've lost it forever. Now, those of us come with great thankfulness. And from all these places, our prayer today is that your Holy Spirit um, descends upon us and meets us through these words, that we walk away knowing your gracious love and that that might become transformative for us in each and every one of our journeys. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Um, someday, you know, your friend will be here, and I'll, it'll be payback time. Sorry. Where I where I grew up in the Central Valley, uh, once a year the carnival would come into town, and it was for the almond blossom festival, because in the Central Valley they they pronounce the word almonds the correct way. So at the Ammond Blossom Festival, the carnival would come, and as a kid, this was just a short bike ride away. And so I loved going to the carnival. I loved I loved rides. I was one of those people that I, I I just thoroughly enjoyed the rush of it and getting on, you know, the zipper, which is the most insane creation of humanity ever, and this thing that just whips you around in all different random directions. I loved it. I loved all of them. I loved the Gravitron. You know that one? It spins around. I, want, I think the reason I loved that one was because I was always losing stuff as a kid. You know, where's my wallet? I've got to buy another one. Where's my keys? And the Gravitron was the ride that you couldn't lose anything on because it would just stay pressed up against the wall with you. And when it stopped, you'd, if you dropped something, it was right there. The zipper, not so much. Um, so I loved going on rides, but I had family members who, you know, who didn't and who it was not a pleasant experience to go on. And as a as an adult now, we go to these different places like Legoland, and they have rides there. And, and everywhere you go, there's as you stand in line, you know this. There's the the little 
guy there that's the measuring, you know, do you measure up to go on this ride? And um, basically, are you qualified to get on this ride? It's a very big deal for kids, you know? Am I tall enough? Am I ready? But even with that, there's some kids that, and I see this with my own kids, the difference is in, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I want to go on that ride, even if I do qualify. Um, I don't think that'll be the case with our our 21-month-old Mabel. If you if you're not my friend on Facebook, you should friend me just to see the video of her learning a week and a half ago how to climb out of her crib. Um, so she's in a big girl bed now because she can climb out of her crib. Um, she'll probably just go as soon as she's tall enough and qualified. She will go straight to the zipper. I mean, she she's just just loving life and loving. She's a daredevil. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the promise of receiving the Holy Spirit as a Christian is that you are sent out into the world. And I think for a lot of us, um, even though we know that the Bible talks about us being in many ways already qualified, already measuring up to be sent out with the Holy Spirit into this world, uh, a lot of us find ourselves sitting on the sidelines just watching the ride from a distance for, for one reason or another. Uh, I think what one of the amazing things that Mark, the gospel writer Mark, does is that as he starts out his, his gospel, the story of Jesus, he just jumps right into it. He's a man of few words, but he also makes a, a very climactic point. He bursts onto the scene with this picture of Jesus we didn't read what came after this little introductory baptism and then wilderness experience. We didn't read much more than uh, his first few words. But basically what you see, it's a, someday I'm going to do a, a message series just on these first chapters of Mark because they're explosive. He just goes right out into the darkness of this world and he's healing people. He's restoring people who are socially outcast. He's um, He's sending out evil spirits and demons and he's just... He's just astounding in how he fearlessly, confidently, with apparently because of this initial Holy Spirit coming on him and the Holy Spirit now driving him, he's going out with the Holy Spirit, uh, just changing, bringing light to a dark world really is what he's doing. And, and you think, well, that's just Jesus because he's, he's Jesus and Christians say he's the son of God. But really what ends up happening is that as you look at the beginning of the church and the scriptures, many of which we've looked at in this Holy Spirit series, you see not just Jesus, but his followers after he's ascended, they're doing the same thing. They're confidently, fearlessly going out sent with the Holy Spirit. And again, we, we maybe look at ourselves and we say, you know, for one reason or another, um, I, you know, I might feel really disconnected to that kind of being sent out into the world um, in that kind of powerful way. Why? Why are we connected? And what do we need? I think this passage tells us two things that we need. First, you need to learn how Jesus qualifies you to be sent. So how he qualifies you. But secondly, you need to believe that Jesus qualifies you to be sent. So it's, it's just very simple. Kind of the cognitive, like the... the the actual, you know, he does qualify you. And then secondly, just believing that and having it driven down deep into who you are. So how do we look at this passage and how do we know that um, that you are qualified now through Jesus to be sent out with the Holy Spirit? You look in the story and what you see is a voice from heaven, the Father speaking to the Son and saying, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So you have that message. And then you have the Spirit descending on him and sending him into the 
the wilderness, which is a little strange. Jesus is sent then into the wilderness for 40 days. And in order to understand how this even connects with us at all, and to make sense of it at all, you have to, you have to rewind quite a bit and catch the deeper meaning and connections that are going on. Because it all has to do with the ancient people of Israel. Before, before God came to rescue Israel from the, the prominent world power of the day, Egypt, he said, he said this in, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. He's talking to Moses. He says, Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. Very important language. It comes up in other places in the Bible where God calls Israel his son. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. That's an interesting way to talk about a whole big people group. But what's, what's going on, basically, in the Old Testament is that God sees this very broken world, the one that you and I see and that we live in, and he's beginning to reconnect with humanity and have a plan for bringing light into all the world and all the brokenness. And he's going to do it through this people, Israel, his son. And so you have that, him calling them his son, and they're going to be the ones that bring light. But what happens first is that he sends them out into the wilderness for 40 years. And somehow, you know, the point is that they can actually screw this up. They need to be kind of tested. And, and um, in fact, let me just read from Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 8 where this is explained. I always love when a part of the Bible looks back at another part and explains it because sometimes you're like, I don't know how to make sense of this. Well, here's a point where the wilderness, the 40-year wilderness experience is explained in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order uh, to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Years. So know then in your heart, this is great, that as a man disciplines his son, it's that language again, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And to make a, a long story short and get on to us, they fail. And the, the whole project of God's people Israel bringing the light into the world amidst all the nations and all the darkness, um, they didn't measure up. They didn't, in a sense, there was some of the, themselves having to be qualified for it, and they, and they, they didn't qualify. And it, and it comes up pretty quickly. It's almost comical how quickly. Um, right in the next chapter, Deuteronomy 9, um, just to briefly say how, how quickly they failed at this, um, it says this, At the end of the 40 days and 40 nights that Moses was up on the mountain with God, the Lord gave me, this is Moses speaking, the two stone tablets and the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord told me, go down from here at once because your people who you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have turned away quickly from what I command, commanded them and have made an idol for themselves. Okay, so they fail. And this is, in a sense, this is why I love the Bible. Because there's so much room on every page, it seems, for, for me, for people who don't seem to measure up, who don't, we don't, you know, who, you look at your life and you go, 
my devotion to God, my ability to persevere in the wilderness times and hang on to faith. This, this story has plenty of room for you in it. And that's why I love it. So then if you fast forward to the Gospel of Mark, think about Jesus again now in this, in this light. He's connected to this ancient story, isn't he? The voice from heaven, as soon as his ministry begins, says, You are my beloved son, Jesus. That was language for Israel. And in you I am well pleased. And then what happens? He's sent out into the wilderness. What's going on? Well, I think, I think what we expect, if God is going to kind of try a plan B, you know, with us, the failures and the people who don't measure up, I think we imagine that he'll send another kind of Moses figure, you know, that Jesus is the guru in the desert who's out there to help you go out to the desert and learn how to be, you know, really hardcore in terms of spiritual life, to give us the new roadmap, the way to qualify ourselves. And instead, what God does is he sends his own son, his own pre-qualified son and then we see him in, in a sense he doesn't does he really need to go out into the, to the desert to the wilderness if he's pre-qualified doesn't isn't, isn't God's son ready enough isn't he you know strong enough why does he have to go to the desert so that you and I can see that he's gone there for us that we aren't we don't have to we don't have to go out and qualify ourselves in the desert anymore God has made it not so much something that you and I can screw up anymore in order for us to end up being qualified and making our way out uh, into the world. Um, this is a, a really dramatic point. And Mark, he doesn't want to waste any time. He wants to get that point made right up front and to have us going, whoa, 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 whoa. Things are very different now with Jesus. We're all qualified in him somehow. He's done it all for us. He stood in our place. Um, and Jesus is always standing in our place. As you read the Bible, you look and you see, why is, why is he doing that? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? Why is he going to the cross? Why is he dying? Why is he going to the desert? He's going in your place. He's going for you. He's going so that he takes on what you should take on and you can get everything that he already has. So that's what you need to know. You need to learn how Jesus qualifies you, and that's how. He, he stands in for you. But you also have to, I mean, we all have this problem of, we need that driven down into our lives over and over again. You need it driven down deep. You need to believe that Jesus qualifies you. Not just know it cognitively, you need to believe it. And the Bible, through this story and in countless other places, sh- basically shouts out to you some very definitive things that God wants us to know, very powerful things. And there's nothing that can get in the way of these two things becoming true for you. And that is first, that we see it in the story, that God now, because of Jesus, and because he stood in your place, now God calls you definitively and completely his beloved child. Now that voice is speaking to you. One of my favorite um, biblical teachers and theologian scholars, his name is N.T. Wright, and he says this. It's very simple. He makes this point. The whole Christian gospel can be summed up in this point, that when the living God looks at us, every baptized and believing Christian, he says to us that what he said to Jesus on that day. He sees us not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Jesus Christ. He says, um, each of us should kind of go throughout our life saying this sentence over and over and inserting our name. You are my dear, dear child. I'm delighted with you. Mark, you are my dear, dear son. I am delighted in you. Now insert your name. Say it over and over. Let it get driven down into who you are. 
into how you approach life. That's one thing that can't be taken away. The other thing is that God is ready to send you because of that. He's ready to send you out in this world with the Holy Spirit to now be the light in your relationships, in your neighborhood, in your community, at your work, everywhere, to be the light. And, you know, so what we say to these two things, these two definitive things, is we tend to look at it and we go, no, 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 wait a minute, you don't know me. Because <laughs> um, I look at myself and let me tell you, Mark, I don't have my life together. I have not arrived like, you know, I'm sure God needs me to. Or we say, you know, I just, this can't be true about me because my faith is so weak and I'm so full of doubts. Or we say, um, you know, <laughs> how could God ever be ready to send me out with my track record of dealing with temptation and tests and trials? And just as a way of kind of bringing this to a close, let's look at each of those. Let's look at each of those three things and do a little God talk to them, a little gospel talk, the kind of driving the message into our real lives that we need to from this message. First of all, the, the I don't have my life together objection. What do we need to know? What do we need to think about when, when that objection comes up to being sent out by God right now? Well, I haven't arrived. I don't have my life together. You know, in a lot of ways, I'm so glad that God didn't wait around for me to arrive and for me to get my life together before he sent me out to start City Life Church. If I look at, I mean, I, I can just make it personal and look at my own story and say, thank goodness he didn't wait around for me to feel like I had arrived or like I had my life together. Thank goodness God's not, you know, traveling around the world, searching high and low for those, you know, those people he can use, the high octane accomplishers, the achievers in this world who can do stuff. Thank, praise God that he, he's ready to use you and me of all people, right now and to send you out to bring his light into the world. And how? You say, well, how can, how can that even be possible? How can he do that? He can do it because our stand-in, the one who stands in for us, had his life together. He was pretty high octane. He was an achiever. In fact, I love the way Colossians chapter 1 just briefly describes Jesus, this one who was, who stands in for us, the Son the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. There's that sun language again. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the, uh, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Do you, you catch how the Bible talks about Jesus? He's not just a guru who's gone to the desert before you to teach you how you can also get there. He's the one who, did you catch the language? You might say, I don't have my life together. The one who stands in for you, who leads you, who goes before you, holds all things together. He's got it. He's arrived, I think. Jesus has, and he stands in your place. So you can't, can't necessarily stand on that excuse. I don't have my life together yet. I haven't arrived. So the next one is, my faith's too weak. I have too many doubts. How could God use someone like me who, who, doesn't, have, who do, doesn't have all the answers to all the questions? Who doesn't always feel like, you know, I have faith. And what is faith? Faith is to live, um, to live 
a hopeful existence by way of an unseen reality. To live a hopeful existence by way of some kind of unseen reality. And many of us, we find ourselves failing greatly at having that kind of faith, that kind of definition of faith. What do we do instead? Well, we're a lot like the, the ancient people of Israel because we need some kind of idol. We need something visible and tangible that we can put our actual hope on. We're all chasing after hope in some way or another. So we all have the desire to have hope. It's where we go for it. Are you going... You know, we, And we always have to have some kind of visible, tangible thing that seems more tangible than the unseen reality of God's power. Um, when it comes down to it, you know, we all sit here and there's something in your life that is that idol. Whether it's just money, pretty big one, financial security. Or whether it's the, the spouse that you want to find and everything hinges on that. Or whether it's the spouse you already have and their approval is everything to you or a parent, their approval for you. It's your career maybe. It's some something that you grasp hold of spiritually every day. And so you find yourself, the percentage of your time that's spent trusting in the unseen God of power is, is just frighteningly small and minuscule. And so this, this does seem like a formidable excuse to being sent by God. My faith is too weak. Look at me. And then this is what the Apostle Paul says in, um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. Basically, he says that Jesus said this to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfect, is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So God uses and sends out... Uh, people who feel weak, whose faith doesn't measure up, who haven't arrived. He does it because when Jesus went out to the desert, he hung on to the unseen reality for 40 days without eating. He was able to, you know that old phrase that we read, we do not live by bread alone. And that's literally how Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. And he lived in the wilderness purely on the, the hope of the Father in heaven and the reality of the Father in heaven that's more important than any tangible thing you could have hung on to. And I know that's going to that's going to speak to some of you because you're going through wilderness experiences right now in some kind of way. But it also foreshadows the cross because the wilderness experience of Jesus is a foretaste of him going out again to suffer once more the final trial and to give he has such faith in your place you say my faith is weak Jesus has faith for you where he can give up his life and trust in the father that his life will return that he'll rise from the dead so you have that and that's the faith that matters and God's power can work in your weak faith so the last objection is that, well, I fail. And um, the temptations that come, I'm, I'm very good at failing amidst temptations and trials and wilderness experiences. Um, in fact, you think, you know, okay, well, you know, before I go to bed tonight, I'm going to fail at several trials probably this afternoon. <laughs> and that's just the reality. I know that's the reality we live in. Can God really use me? Well, this is basically what this message tells us from Mark, is that the minute you become a Christian, God sees no longer your... Um, ability to hang on during temptation and trials, but now in your place, in the place of your record, stands Christ's record. In the place of your report card stands Christ's uh, passing grade. 
and his track record is now yours. Um, if there's a progress report that God sees every month on you or every 90 days, it's signed off on every time by Jesus it, as soon as you become a Christian. And in a sense, I think what God wants to say to a lot of us is we imagine that we're not ready to be sent out into the world and used by God in a purposeful way. You know, we more maybe we're in that mode. We think we just need to explore more. We need to ask more questions. We need to get more solid. In a lot of ways, I think what God wants to say to us is, um, you know, with a smile, with maybe loving confusion, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? There is nothing left to prove by you. I am ready to send you out right now. Will you allow me to? And I think if you don't believe it, look at the Apostle Paul. Because just one great story of someone who didn't have a probation period. (laughs) He was an enemy of the church. He was basically bringing the death of Christians. And God stops him right in his tracks. And without any sense of, well, now you've got to do this remedial work before you can be used by me. You've got to do A, B, and C. He just says, no, now you've got a new mission. That's that's your track record? Well, guess what? Now you're the best example of a Christian because you show to the world that you did nothing to deserve God's grace and now you just go out and you share that with people. The Apostle Paul. I want you to imagine um, you you go and visit a church. And I know for those of you who are, you're here already so there's no need ever to visit another church, but... Just imagine that you're with, you know, it's the holidays and you're with family or something. So you, you go, you're at another church and you walk in and they, and they just, your lucky day because they're starting a new, a big new program and the, the idea is this is the year of preparation. And they talk it up, it's the whole service about how we're, you know, sign up today to be a part of this program to immerse ourselves in scripture and in prayer and in talking about this and in Bible studies to try to figure out and learn and really be, go deep on what does it mean to be qualified to be used by God and sent out with the Holy Spirit? You know, by the end of this year, some of us may even be, God may be ready to use some of us and send us out into the world by the power of His Holy Spirit. But let's, let's go deep and figure this out. In a, in a sense, you know, you're, if, if you know the Bible, if you know the Gospel a little bit, your crap detector is going off as you walk into this church, right? Talk about a, a year down the toilet, a, a complete waste of time because God's ready to send you right now. We chase after and we imagine we need to build up our self-cred, you know? And we have to achieve some credibility on our own in order to get sent. And the Christian hangs on to God-cred. It's not earned. It's just received. So let's pray now for that. God of grace, thank you that you are so gracious that every time we try to look into the gospel and to understand your message of grace, it pushes our our thinking, it challenges the way we tend to come into a church and come into a relationship with you. Quite frankly, if we allow it, it just blows our mind over and over again because we don't want to believe that you are this gracious and this able to use us today. So will you help us? And will you rain down your Holy Spirit on us and send us out no matter where we find ourselves to bring grace and love to our friends, our neighbors, our community and to bring light into darkness. We pray in Christ's name alone. Amen.